we carry trauma with us from our ancestors. I also believe we carry pleasure. And so here's the part that I'm really excited about. If that is true, which I think it is. Is that why all black people like to play spades? Come on now. Right. <laughs> or dominoes. Or that we all do the electric slide at, at, the, at the function. Exactly. Hey, everyone. I'm Jason V. And this is Local Color, a show about the local color that makes Baltimore great. Today's guest is Jess Solomon, director and principal of Art in Praxis. Art in Praxis provides consultation and creative space services to create healthier and more sustainable organizations, networks, and coalitions in the social sector ecosystem. I know that was a mouthful, so just stay tuned. If you live in Baltimore and you're plugged into the arts and social scenes, chances are you've crossed paths with Jess. Sometimes she has braids, sometimes she wears her hair natural, but you most likely are able to recognize her from her smile. A mover and shaker of the highest order, Jess is always looking to connect this person with that person and create opportunities for greatness. I met up with Jess at Impact Hub Baltimore, and if you don't know what that is, do your Googles. It was a little loud in the first conference room we went to, so we settled for a smaller workroom that was perfect for interviews. We started with home. I am from Cherry Hill. Oh, is that South Baltimore, right? Yes. Cherry Hill is one of three main neighborhoods in South Baltimore. A mix between residential and industrial area, South Baltimore seems stuck in time. The atrophied hand of urban decay has gripped South Baltimore, yet redevelopment is slow to come. Jess's story begins the same way a lot of our stories do. When my parents split, my mom and I moved to Cherry Hill. I grew up in um, East Baltimore, but I spent middle school and high school in Cherry Hill. And uh, my friends weren't there, so I didn't really hang outside much. Like, And I was a, a geek. I watched a lot of TV. I read a lot of books. And so um, growing up was... Um, just being really studious and being in the house a lot and occasionally hanging outside with my friends um, or going back east, over east, to be with people who, you know, knew me when I was um, a bit younger. So Staying in the house was a surefire way to stay out of trouble as a kid. As Jess got older, a field trip to Western High School sparked something inside her. When I was in fifth grade, I actually went to Western to see Alvin Ailey perform. And in my little five-year-old, ten-year-old mind, uh, it just felt like, you know, all the women were so fancy and, you know, Alvin Ailey and everybody just looked so mature and grown up. And I wanted to um, be there. I felt like it felt like a place where I could grow. Um, and I don't know, it just it seemed right. So even in fifth grade, I knew I wanted to go there. It was uh, very critical to my development and um, feeling like, you know, as a young woman, I could achieve goals that I set out. It's a truly amazing moment when a child is motivated and inspired to achieve greatness. For Jess, that greatness was in the art and performance of Alvin Ailey. Jess went on to attend Western High School. Despite the prestige and wonder of attending a school you had to apply for, Jess didn't escape the pressures of life as a teenager. I definitely was, I was an ugly duckling. Or, or late bloomer, both, really, really in the sense of, like, the ugly duckling really wasn't even a duck. Like, she was a swan who was just with the wrong crew. All my friends, I remember, were gorgeous. Somehow they skipped, like, acne, you know, and it was just me. And I was the funny one. I was the one always, like, pulling us together, being the glue. And because of how they looked, we got in a lot of fights, or at least I was around a lot of fights. 
I tried to fight, but somehow I would always like get out of it. <laughs> but I would really try to show show up, like you know. Um, so I wasn't. I had my friends around me to protect me, but I definitely. Um, and as a woman, as a young woman, like just the way we were preyed on by by men was wild. Like I remember hanging out in Patterson Park in middle school, and we would count how many men would try to solicit us to do stuff, you know. So. Um, or how or how many fights my friends would get into because they were light-skinned or whatever, you know, like fill in the blank. Um, it was just really hard. Uh, but as a kid, you don't see it that way. You're just like, out in the streets having fun. One thing Jess missed out on in high school, and I'm using missed lightly here, is social media. Facebook wasn't really a thing until after she graduated. But sometimes I kind of wish I had an archive to see who I was. <laughs> You're right, I do. <laughs> because every once in a while, I'll go back and look at the stuff that I used to post mm-hmm. and what I used to do on Facebook, and I'm just like, uh. <laughs> The quasi-introspective status updates and wildly inappropriate party pics is enough to make anyone cringe with embarrassment at their younger selves. Juvenile hijinks aside, high school is a time of discovery for many of us. The jock may discover his love of theater or the girl who quits the field hockey team in favor of Model UN or the Robotics Club. While in high school, Jess was told the only way she'd succeed in life was to leave Cherry Hill and to leave Baltimore. She agreed and moved away for college, but it wasn't too far. I went to University of Maryland College Park. Far enough to not be checked up on, but close enough to get home in an emergency, Jess was the first in her family to go to college. When asked about a field of study... I could have studied juggling, and my mom would have been down to support. So I, you know, I was like, you know, I want to be Oprah. That's what I would say. I want to be Oprah. So I studied communications and African-American studies and was trying to chant down Babylon at college. I had... I had locks. I was present in WACP. I was, um, I joined Zeta Phi Beta. I was just really trying to like dismantle this institution in a lot of different ways. Just laughed at the last part and for good reason. As adults, we look at college kids who passionately advocate for a Marxist society. And in our minds, we say, yeah, well, pay some damn bills then talk to me. While Jess enjoyed her time at College Park, she said she felt like she was in the 1995 film Higher Learning. For the uninitiated, Higher Learning was a John Singleton film that dealt with the same issues we talk about today. The movie mainly focused on race relations between whites and blacks, but also covered topics like toxic masculinity, rape on college campus, and sexuality. As Jess graduated from college, her chance for Babylon's downfall became quieter, but no less fervent. She started working in the nonprofit sector. I wanted to save the world and, you know, give back and all that stuff. And once I got inside these organizations... Um, I realized that they were doing great work in communities, but internally they were all like just crazy. Right, exactly. During her time in the nonprofit world, through a mentor, Jess discovered an uncommon field of study that revolved around helping organizations and communities be more impactful in their work and efficient and thinking about processes and all that stuff. And I just was like, this is great. Uh, I want to learn more. So after a few years of being in the nonprofit sector, I ended up going back to school um, and got my, my master's in um, organization development. I'd never heard of OD before, and even in my research before the interview, the stuff I did discover was kind of hard to understand. Another phrase that came up in my research of OD was systems theory. With so many questions, what better way to learn than from the master herself? Let's talk about racism. <laughs> Let's say I am, I, I'm discriminated against for a job 
because um, I'm black, right? So that's one example. That's one one thing that has happened, one exchange. Mm -hmm. And then we can raise that up and look at the organization that is hiring people and figure out, well, what are their hiring practices, right? Do they have a policy against that? Who makes the hiring decisions? You know, we look at that and then we can raise it up even higher beyond the, the incident and the organization to look at the field that that organization is in. Like, let's say, for example, it's the music industry or something. I don't know. You can start to look at, well, is this, um, does this happen often, right? So it's this idea of just kind of raising, raising an issue up to make it less than a, a, a one-on-one incident, but more like let's look at the, the systems at place that even allow it to happen. You still with us? Once all these factors have been identified, Jess comes in. And then um, as a consultant or practitioner, how might I go into an organization and help them see that this just wasn't a one-off instance. It's actually something that's built into the environment about the way y'all even hire people. I was still a little confused, but Jess and her infinite patience led me to the light. An exchange between two people in an office can be connected to the larger organizational culture in an office. If the organizational culture is such that people avoid um, confrontation, Right. There can be an, there can be something that happens in the office that will not get talked about until it blows up. Before we moved on, I made sure I got the whole picture. Systems theory would be how the culture of the organization contributes to passive, aggressive exchange. Come on, you better say yes. Exactly. Right. So- to summarize, organization development and systems theory looks at practices and culture in an organization and how those factors contribute to the day to day operation of said organization. Okay, Jess goes to American University to get a graduate degree in OD. You'd think with everything discussed so far, a master's in OD would keep Jess busy, right? You should also know that while I was in graduate school, I thought I started a theater company. You started a theater company? Yes, because I'm crazy. A theater company? It's a far cry from systems and macro levels of workplace culture, but bear with me, it'll all make sense in a few minutes. The inspiration to start a theater company came from Jess attending a sister circle, honoring the life and memory of Sarah Bartman. Bartman was a black woman who was paraded around as a sideshow freak in 19th century Europe because she had a big butt, like a really big butt. You can look it up. I wanted to tell her story because I felt like it in many ways mirrored just this idea of black women and intersectionality and access to body and all this stuff. So I put out a call. Twelve women answered. We ended up producing a show that was supposed to be one weekend. Four years later, we had um, been on tour and created a whole methodology and framework around this this art. Yeah, I did a show in Baltimore, actually, mm-hmm. um, at the place called The Strand that doesn't exist anymore. So... Graduate school, theater company, how does this fit into Jess founding Art and Praxis? We're almost there. After Jess graduated from AU with her master's, she plunged back into the nonprofit world, but this time as a consultant. And it was cool, um, and then it became very repetitive. The success of Jess's theater company got her thinking about art as a tool for change. And that planted a seed that I had been nurturing for a while. Um, and that work was, you know, free. And we were making money off of ticket sales. And so I had a, I had a job and all that stuff. Um, work became repetitive. I was always interested in looking at ways art could be integrated into organization development. I decided to test out my theory. And um, it wasn't like this smooth transition. I actually got hired by a, a, really, a really shiny consultant firm after I quit that job. 
And I knew I shouldn't have taken it. I knew it was time for me to go, but that experience like affirmed it. So two months after the shiny consulting job, I took the full leap in art and practice, became my full-time work. They say faith is belief without evidence. In 2014, Jess took that leap of faith and started working on art and praxis full-time. And people are like, oh, how'd you do it? I'm like, it wasn't sexy. Like it was, it was me still working full-time for somebody else, like on the side, taking on projects like getting clear about what kind of work do I want to do, um, building a website, like getting, getting my business and finances in order. There's that dreaded F word, finances. It costs money to turn your dream into a reality. Costs even more money if you don't give a cut of your revenue to the baddest gang in the land, the IRS. Just found that out the hard way. There was a moment after graduate school where I did not have a job and I ended up doing some consulting. I did not have a business entity and the IRS kicked my ass. Yeah. Everything that I was making, it wasn't being taxed. And at the end of the year, I paid the price, you know. So I just want to say that. So people, if people are here like hustling and want to start a business, get your get your business entity and maybe find an accountant. You know the old saying about death and taxes. When talking about starting art in praxis, just commented on Baltimore's entrepreneurial spirit. You can probably name five people right now that have a side hustle. If you're listening to this, thanks for supporting my side hustle. The topic of grinding and respect came up, and I asked Jess, does someone need to leave Baltimore and blow up somewhere else to get respect from Baltimore? I don't I don't know if it's just Baltimore, though. Like, um, you, you listen to Little Brother? You know about Fonte? Fonte, Big Pooh. Yeah! Yes. You had a moment. I just saw your whole face. <laughs> I forget what song. But Pooh, he like breaks out. He's like, we home and y'all don't y'all didn't show us love and da 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 And basically saying the same thing. Like, we had to go away for you to to see us. The track in question is Not Enough off Little Brother's second album, The Minstrel Show. It talks about how the hip-hop group hustled and struggled to get noticed and couldn't even get respect in their hometown of Durham, North Carolina until they left and made it. To Jess, she thinks the no love until you're gone mindset is a universal one. I don't know if it's a Baltimore thing. I think a lot of times we have jewels right in front of us and we don't appreciate them. You know, sure. because because we think they're accessible. And I think that's a human thing. And I'll even say, like, coming home, I appreciate everything so much more because I've been away. Like, I know. I think I think that's it. Just spent a year living in D.C., but she realized Baltimore was better and came home. In addition to Jess's homecoming and art and praxis, this past summer she served as interim director of the Bromo Arts District, an initiative designed to, quote, realize the area's potential as a thriving downtown arts neighborhood. Bromo is a neighborhood that has always been here, let me be real clear, and um, there were stakeholders in that community who, you know, had culturally had um, assets and wanted to really support the neighborhood and being a cultural hub, and so they got together looked at a map, carved out what they felt like was a great place, and um, gave it a name. And I'm really clear about what I'm saying. And I know that that comes with a lot of suspicion and interest. There's a lot of history in that neighborhood. Jess wants to make sure it's not forgotten. She enjoyed her time at Bromo Arts District and even thought about staying on as director, but her heart was with art and praxis. In addition to consulting work, Art and Praxis also offers organizations help in the form of the Creative Lab. It's like a business incubator, but instead of working on your startup, creativity is employed to create experiences that bring understanding to its participants. Sometimes the consulting work 
might not call for me, you know, coming in and, and doing a strategic plan. It might actually call for me developing a game for y'all to play about budgets. <laughs> Seriously. So, for example, um, I was working with a uh, organization in D.C., and the executive director wanted everybody to understand how to budget work. I created a game for them where everybody got $100,000, you know, fake money or whatever, to develop a budget. What came out was that... Um, People who worked on the operations side of things wanted to put more money in certain places where the program team didn't. And so this was a chance for them to talk about like, oh, I understand your work better now because I see where you find the resources should go. Because a budget is really a story, right? So I got them to understand that um, and their budget reflects what is a priority. Throughout my entire conversation with Jess, I kept arriving at the same crossroads in my mind. And so I asked her, could organization development and systems theory be applied to social movements? I think we need to find examples that are working well. People are people are organized. And I think there are people here, but we don't lift them up. We don't acknowledge trauma and how that plays out in us being productive. Um, I think we're quick to say we don't organize, but we should be looking at examples of ways we are. So it may feel like we're not organized. In some ways we might not be, but I think this is also us trying to figure out how do we coexist and be whole in the midst of all of this craziness happening too, you know? How can we create what we want to see? Well, what do we want to see? What is our vision? What does it look like when we win? That's a scary question because it requires you to like imagine. And people don't imagine. We've spent so much time fighting to survive and be treated equally that other visions and goals and even the idea of success have taken a back seat. It'd be like telling Sisyphus that one day he'd actually succeed in rolling the boulder uphill. Another concept just brought up when talking about systems theory and social movements is inherited trauma. Trauma passed down through generations that becomes part of our genetic code. However, just posits that if we can inherit pain, can we not also inherit pleasure? It's something she's working on in the creative lab. Here's the part that I'm really excited about. If that is true, which I think it is. Is that why all black people like to play spades? Come on now. Right. Or dominoes or that we all do the electric slide at, at, the, at the function. Exactly. Right. And we love that shit. Right. Like that is something that brings me joy. So to take it to another level for me, it's like, OK, if that's true, how as a as a future ancestor, right, like I'm currently alive in this body, what kind of pleasurable experiences should I be creating actively so that my great-great-great-grandchildren will know? You know? And so I, that for me, that also ties into organizing and social justice. Like, what kind of world am I working towards so that my great-great-grandkids can, can thrive and, and be and, like, not have to deal with the same craziness that I dealt with? In order to fight the good fight, we have to be ready physically, but also mentally and emotionally. Sometimes we just need to take a mental health day to give ourselves joy in a world seemingly devoid of it. Jess is busy as ever with Art and Praxis. Future plans include building a team that will allow Art and Praxis to expand and operate better on a national scale. This includes traveling to other cities in the nation like Oakland and connecting with social organizers out west. If you want to learn more and get in touch with Jess... The website is art, A-R-T, um, N-I-N, Praxis, P-R-A-X-I-S dot org. I can be reached at Jess at Art and Praxis. Uh, we are on the gram at Art and Praxis and also Twitter um, at Praxis Makes. Okay. 
Today's episode of Local Color was written, produced, narrated, edited, and published by me, Jason V. Follow Local Color on Instagram at Local Color Podcast. You can also like Local Color on Facebook. Head to Local Color's website, localcolorpodcast.com, where you can listen to the entire catalog. Also, please subscribe to Local Color on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts to get those push notifications when new episodes drop. Thanks for listening. I'm Jason V, and I'll be back with more Local Color.